0: Hello and welcome to episode seven of Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends. I am your host, Lynn Franks, and today I'm speaking to my very dear friend, Sister Maureen Goodman, the Programme Director of the Brahma Kumaris UK. The Brahma Kumaris, or the BKs as they are affectionately known, are the only women's led spiritual organization in the world. And Maureen is going to tell her story, how she, as a young Jewish married woman from Liverpool, became a senior leader in this Indian-based spiritual university dedicated to bringing peace and love to the world through their practice of Raj Yoga meditation and dedication to God. The BKs have been a huge influence on my life since I first met Daddy Janky, their recently departed leader some 30 years ago. Daddy Janky showed me what feminine spiritual power looks like and this diminutive powerhouse truly changed the world, spreading the word of love from prisons to world leaders until she passed away at 104 just over a year ago. Maureen and I discussed Daddy and the philosophy of the BKs before we finish on Maureen's powerful meditation based on the three questions Daddy always asked us. Who am I? Who do I belong to? And what is my purpose? Enjoy. So I am delighted today to welcome my good friend Sister Maureen Goodman, whose official title is the Program Director for the Brahma Kumaris UK. Om Shanti Maureen, and I was Om Shanti,
1: um, is, om shanti <laughs> meaning uh, very simple, I the being the soul and peace. Thanks. So we greet that. each other with this. Actually, it, it reminds us of who we really are. <laughs> I need to remind myself a lot more. Um,
0: om Shanti. <laughs> So we've been friends and we're just thinking about it for nearly 30 years and we met in India at the top of the mountain Mount Abu in Rajasthan which is the centre for the Brahma Kumaris really Um, and I was just remembering that Daddy Janki, who we're going to talk about a lot more in a minute who has been an incredible mentor teacher and leader for for both of us uh, sort of took me wandering around wondering who everybody was all these wonderful men and women floating around in white and me thinking perhaps I've died and gone to heaven and then she got you <laughs> by the hand and me by the hand and said Maureen look after her and that's how our friendship started which has really been a very wonderful experience I think for me for sure you've been very important in my life so I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, <laughs>
2: that's my
0: guest on so um, I want to ask you really what the Brahma Kumaris do, who they are, how it started, because although I'm very familiar, and of course now, uh, there are many people that don't know about Mm. the BKs, as we
1: call you. So do you want to explain
0: how it started and where it's
1: going? Yeah, sure. sure. (laughs) The Brahma Kumaris began in India in 1937, around that time. And, uh, of course, that was pre-partition India. And this was in Karachi, which is now part of Pakistan. And um, the founder, Brahma Baba, he had a series of visions. And um, he saw a lot of upheaval in the world, much as we're seeing today. But he also saw the possibility of a beautiful world where people really lived with love, lived in harmony, lived with truth. And he really felt God was inspiring him to help be an instrument or to help create such a world. But what was really also very interesting that the inspiration he had was that it was really time to empower women and bring women forward as spiritual leaders and teachers and to educate women. And so this was a very conservative community, the Sindhi community and uh, girls weren't necessarily educated Um, And so he began a boarding school for young women. Then he used to hold spiritual gatherings. And uh, at first, you know, when anything begins and, you know, there's powerful things that happen, people seeing visions, um, but nobody really knew what it was all about. And then eventually a a community formed and they were mostly women um, with him and uh, with uh, some families and, and so on. But the important thing is from the very beginning, he said, okay, I'm here. That's fine. But it's now important that the leadership is in the hands of women. And he did this from day one, from 1930s India. Um, And he said to the the girls, young girls at that time, um, don't think of yourself as women. Think of yourselves as souls. And then you won't have any limitations, or any barriers. Amazing! Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they used there was a car. They had the and a bus, and the women would drive the bus, do the get under the bus to fix it. you know, kind of unheard of in those days. Um, so he didn't put any barriers at all. And when and that, he that must them, have
0: been very controversial, wasn't it? In
1: huge, Karachi. and in fact, you can imagine the whole community was against him. They thought that he'd gone completely mad um and but i'm really glad that he stuck to
2: it and (laughs) we're
0: here today because in those those days in india and pakistan or whatever whatever it was in those days um women young women were considered really the sort of the the belongings of their fathers or their husbands they didn't have any rights so to create all the elder brothers yeah yes Mm -hmm. for me has become a symbol of spiritual feminism was very (laughs) um
1: Progressive, to say the least. Hugely progressive, hugely. And it was very natural to him. You know, he really, he knew this was the right thing to do. And even though, as I say, the community were against him, there was even an attempt on his life, an attempt to burn his house down. Uh, You know, many things that happened. But he knew that this is truth and this is right. And he wouldn't waver from it at all. And uh, he knew exactly what he used, the power of truth and the power of spirituality. And he knew that this was a stronger force than all the anger and angst that was going on around him. And of course, ultimately, it is that that power of spirituality. Uh, the other is force. This is real inner spiritual strength. And so that um strength or power of spirituality, of love, of truth, ultimately has to be the thing that that shines and that takes things forward, and so that's what happened. And in fact, um, they were a community of nearly 400 that lived together in Karachi for 40 years. And this was it was like enclosed, and this was like if you like a laboratory where they were really training in meditation and the depth of spiritual study, um, really going into the depth of understanding themselves, understanding God. And so then after that time, um, so that went up to partition time actually, and then they knew that the future would be in India rather than in Pakistan. Um, and you would know about partition that bloodshed was happening. It was a very, very bad time um, and between the communities. But yet they were kept protected and the Muslim, they were, of course, Hindu background, all of them, but the Muslim government of the day wanted to protect them and they gave them safe passage to India. And that is just amazing because they felt they were truly spiritual people. And so that was the move then to Mount Abu in Rajasthan. And, um, you know, it must have been quite a journey by train, by boat, taking 400 people. Yeah. I've, I've taken a group of 60 to India. That was bad enough. <laughs> um, well, not bad enough. It was fun, but it was, you know, yeah. <laughs> quite trying. Um, but, uh, and then after that in the early 50s, they began to go in India to begin centers and to share the teachings. And, um, people just were very surprised these women with a lot of Shakti, you know, spiritual power, um, sharing these things. And they very did not gentle strong, way, though. Very gentle, but yet strong at the same time. You know, it, it was amazing. And, and they'd never seen women like this, you know. Um, even today, women gurus, of course, there are in India women spiritual leaders, but not so many. But 1930, uh, no, by that time, 1950s. It was really unheard of. And so anyway, bit by bit, they began to establish centres. And then 1971, the first group came abroad to um, London, so 71, we're in fact celebrating 50 years of our work in the UK and our work outside of India. And we're going to be celebrating. So we'll be oh, in touch oh, with you, nice. no doubt. Lynn. Oh,
0: yes. Oh, I'll definitely be there. Yeah. So yeah. on that note, um, I'd like to bring in Daddy Janke um, and her involvement as a young woman, as though, in fact, alongside a number of young women who had been with Brahma Baba right from the beginning, then became the leaders. And um, the stories that I've heard and read of how he sent Daddy, Janky, and others literally out with, a, um, I don't know, a Samosa or something it's in very... their pocket and an address for someone in the Sindhi community to stay with and sent them all over India, as you say, to start with. But then sent Daddy, who didn't speak any English, over to England
1: in. 1950, Na- 1974 start? she 70, came 70. even though right. the center started in 71 she actually came in 74 and she yeah, was meant to yeah. come for uh two weeks but she stayed 40 years, 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there the, the service you know that the centers were established it's now over 100 countries so and she traveled all over the globe but but bringing that message that you know essentially we are all spiritual beings and our original nature is peace. And our natural relationship is a divine one, relationship with the divine, the one who's the unlimited source of peace and love, and a, and, and a natural divine or spiritual relationship with each other. Um, and so she helped people to go beyond all the baggage that the relationships often carry to really relate on a spiritual level and to appreciate each other as they really are, so it's been a um, well, you know, It's an interesting, interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's extraordinary life. I mean, in a way, you are sort of living the life of nuns. You live a life of purity. Um, you live a life of spiritual service women and men in fact uh, in the centers all over the world with the women still taking the leadership roles mostly um and which Mm -hmm. was always the idea that he brahma baba actually foretold this time when women needed to move into this this leadership role the sacred feminine the spiritual leadership and we've never needed it more than we do now um and and it's a it's an interesting challenge I would say, particularly if I can bring your story in now, because (laughs) you, like me, come from a Jewish background and uh, you came from Liverpool, you come from Liverpool originally, and you were married when you first met the Brahma Kumaris, very young. Do you want to say a little bit about your story and your husband, David, and how you met the BKs and and ended up being, I mean, I gave you this title of Programme Director (laughs) for the Brahma Kumaris UK. You are so much more than that. I mean, you do all sorts
2: absolutely
0: you, do, you keep the energy you hold the energy in a, in a massive way for the uk yeah. and the other places so well, how did it happens. happen how did you get here
1: <laughs> <laughs> in a way i can say i don't know <laughs> it just happened <laughs> um, but um yeah with uh david my husband david we both um uh, came to the brahma we we were in edinburgh on holiday we met the people we uh, and then came to london for a course and um, and then we really felt, you know, when you feel something really resonates, it's really right for you, really is giving you a powerful experience. And, you know, we were searching, we were doing meditation. We were we were actually on our way to the Findhorn community in the north of Scotland that we used to visit quite often. And how, how old were you at this point? I was 21. You were very young. 20, yeah, and David was 23. Um, and, yeah, but we just felt yeah this is right and this is a good life and we really it, it like it it was such a strong feeling that you, you couldn't really even say it was a choice you know you just knew you had to do it you know yeah um and we began a small center from our home in Leeds we were living in Leeds at the time they were both from Liverpool originally um and then uh I moved to Scotland for about 18 months when the centre started officially in Edinburgh. And then it was 1982 when Daddy Janky invited me to come to London. And again, the invitation was for six weeks and it's become nearly 40 years, 39 years, I think. (laughs) So you have to be aware of those invitations. Yeah, so she was a a power
0: of force. (laughs) Unbelievable. I mean... Mm. Let's talk a little bit about Daddy, the extraordinary Daddy Janky. Uh, Daddy meaning older sister, really, in Hindi, doesn't it? Yes. So a a tiny, tiny stature and yet an enormous heart, enormous presence. I mean, you more than I, but me too, have seen her walk onto a stage or a platform with thousands of people sitting in front of her and she'd come on and this extraordinary strength and energy would emanate out of her and she would shanty everybody. And we were like, <laughs> just yeah, like she, she just
1: hold like, the atmosphere huge.
0: Absolutely. The UN with Royal Family, House of Lords and House of Commons in England. I mean, she went into major um, establishments and institutions all over the world and met world leaders constantly as part of her commitment to service and taking peace and love around the world. And we would all become like little
1: children in front of her. All of us, I don't know about you, I can't, but I did. Oh yeah, me too. Um, no, very often, you know, I go to her, I would have, um, uh, I, I got to write, I I started writing things down because if I go to her with some questions and uh, she'd, you know, look at me, you know, this thing we do, it's called Drishti, spiritual vision. So she'd look at the soul, look at the eyes and you just feel that upliftment. And uh, I'd have my questions, and then after that, I completely forget what I come for. <laughs> so she really, really um, took you into another another realm. But what I loved about Daddy was that um, she was very natural, very much your friend. You know, she never was this big spiritual person on a pedestal. Very, never would very, call herself a guru. Never. She ever? I mean, she never. Her oh, true. she would. Even, even uh, no, she just says, "I'm." you know i'm a child of god and that's it you know and um and also that okay you mention all the sort of famous people she may have uh connected with but daddy loved to serve everybody and um we used to hold um if uh seminars uh, residential seminars at our retreat center uh, near oxford for prison staff every year for about 18 years And Daddy, apart from the last two or three, because by then she'd moved back to India because the former head of the Brahma Kumaris had passed on. So she was needed back in India. And so at 91, she got her new position as the head of the organization. Never too Um, late. (laughs) Never too late. But I only discovered very recently that, um, you know, she never missed those seminars with the prison staff. And I only discovered recently that she would ask for that date and she would plan other things around it because she felt it was very important service. And, um, I remember once uh, going with her to a prison, um, not for conviction. (laughs) Um, and she was going to be, there was somebody there who, who'd, we we would work in prisons with meditation and it's not so easy to do it now, but definitely through the nineties, we did a lot. And, um, there was a, a, a one person who was a very, very good carpenter, and he had cre- specially carved solid wood, a beautiful chair and desk for Daddy. And that was in her room at the retreat centre for a long time. And uh, he wanted to present it to Daddy. So she went, it's a couple of hours away, she went to this prison. I was with her and um, uh, Sister Gentian. And on the way, I asked Daddy, I said, you know, Daddy, this person who's presenting this to you, he has really done a very, very bad crime. I mean, it was really quite heinous. Uh, and I I said, you know, and there are many good people in the in the world, but yet God is sending you to him, not to those people. And her answer was, she said, Well, yes, there are many good people in the world, but many of them have arrogance of their goodness. And here is someone who's reached the very bottom and has cried out to God. And so that's yeah. the person God yeah. is going to send me to. And I was very, very touched by her answer. And, you know, when she was in the prison, she met uh, the person heading the carpentry department had arranged for all the the men who were generally working there, to, you know, prisoners to be there. And they were just very, uh, so touched by daddy's presence. It was really, really beautiful. Beautiful. So, Daddy was very
0: dedicated to service in all kinds of areas. Um, Absolutely. Health was a very important one for her, wasn't she? She Yes. created the, was it Janky Foundation? Foundation.
1: Yes, yes. And, you know, it's interesting, in the community in Karachi, for about 12 years, she was the nurse and she looked after all the health. health care of the community yes yes and uh, so she used to take her instructions from brahma baba and of course they used home remedies and herbs and you know um to keep everybody healthy and and so on and uh, she was the nurse and so she loves to serve people and so whenever anybody would be sick they're in hospital she'd make sure she would go she would go and visit them and I've seen her revive people you know one of our brothers here um he had a very bad head injury and they uh, had to have a brain operation and he was like not coming to you know properly and we were all very concerned and daddy had come back from India and uh, immediately I don't know if it's straight from the airport but I think it probably was actually. She came to see him in the hospital, and she called his name, and she talked to him, and she stroked his head, and you know, he came back. and he's here today, fine, you know,
2: amazing.
1: amazing. So you know, Thank she.
2: Did,
1: I, I really him. feel, although the daddies, the elder sisters, um, they they will never use, were not into sort of doing hands-on healing and all that that sort of thing because that's like that then can divert you from very deep internal spiritual effort. But I do know that the daddies have healing power. I really have felt that. So, you know, You're they're spiritually involved.
0: So, so connected yes. from soul yes. with the great goodness in the world that you do have. Um, yes. So, of course, daddy, very sadly, but really in a way, We have to celebrate as well that she was there with us so long. Passed away a year ago. We've just had a memorial at 104. 104, 104. incredible. And it was as if she held on. And she didn't have good health. I mean, as we know, she was quite often in hospital, had big respiratory issues and kidney issues, and yet she held on for this time. I'm without question. She held on until really just as COVID was taking off, I suppose, and was like she gave every ounce she possibly could and then it was like over to the rest of you to carry on.
1: Oh, it was, oh, Lynn, it was incredible because lockdown had just started and, um, you know, here's a small group of us. We have a big house in London um, and, um, you know, it's a small group of us looking after everything. Everything, you know, it's all <laughs> a bit chaotic. And then after three days, we get the news, Daddy's gone and it's like, I don't know how we, you know, it's like, what's going on, you know? And then we really had to meditate a lot. We kept together as the vibration and, you know, it it was just something. And, um, but, you know, she is (laughs) so clever. What can I say? She loved everything simple. She wouldn't want pomp and circumstance at all. And so at the time of her funeral, Nobody could go there, otherwise, I would have been on a plane. You would probably have been on yes. a plane
2: too, to yes. go to
1: India to be present. Um, you know, thousands would have come from all over India from yes. nobody. Could, it was only the 200 people who were there. I mean, it's a massive complex, so 200 is nothing. And um, the whole cremation there were no flowers sent, there were no it was simple sandalwood gardens, flowers from the garden. Uh, And somebody said maybe you know equivalent of about fifty pounds was spent on a funeral. You know, it was like, and it was done in the grounds with the. We of course were watching it live. I mean, we were watching it live. Yeah, you saw so so simple, and exactly what she would have wanted. And you know, also they say that when a great soul passes, the elements clear the way. Now this was late March when it's warm. Um, you know, warm getting into summer. It's very warm in India, even in, in the mountain, but of course this was at the bottom of the mountain. Um, and the night that she left, she left um like very early in the morning, 1.30 or 2 I think a.m. But that night before there was very unseasonable storms, wind, rain, it was from nowhere. And then after she left, died down, just stopped. Amazing, Quite yeah. incredible. And she very much felt the importance of serving the elements, serving nature or, you know, the earth and all the, the elements of the earth because air, fire, earth, water, yeah. <laughs> and um, she was very keen on this because she really feels how we have exploited the earth so totally, you know, one is just by our decisions and the way we misuse nature, but by the the violent vibrations that are feeding onto the earth at this point that the earth can't hold anymore. And so she was very, very, very aware of serving the elements and the elements saw her often. And one year on for her anniversary, Again, we're told not to come to India, okay? And there were a few, one of our other daddies passed away just uh, a week, 10 days before her daddy janky's anniversary. And there were still thousands who were able to come. Then COVID got stronger. They were all told to go away. Nobody could come. So even for her anniversary, it was just a few hundred people, very simple. Yeah, so i was just about to ask about the
0: spirit of humanity, which um, you are on the executive circle of. I love the fact that it's a circle. And this is held, is it annually or every two years? Every, every two, years. two years. Every In two Republic. years. And I was there at the first and the second one. Amazing to be in yeah. Iceland because it's such an extraordinary country with it such is. an amazing story. Um, yeah. But tell us a little bit about the yeah, Spirit of Humanity Forum because it does amazing work and it's not just Brahma Kumaris. Uh, it's, no. it's Brahma Kumaris and many other people dedicated to peace and
1: a new kind of world and future. Yeah, it's it's a partnership project. It's actually um, hosted by the city of Reykjavik, um, the mayor at that time when we started in 2012 was very keen on having this kind of input and he really and and it's continued um Reykjavik and Iceland totally has a very strong um tradition of peace um and there are several partners in this um the Geren Hermes Foundation for Peace the Fetzer Institute um anyway maybe I won't name them all but um always more and more partners coming on board. But um, the idea really is to see how people who are in leadership positions can begin to be more aware, or um, if they are aware, to be in a, a space where they can talk about these things, about how our inner awareness really affects the direction, not just of our own lives, but collectively, our inner consciousness, our inner awareness affects the direction of humanity as a whole. And um, really, we are the ones who can reset the compass from the trajectory that that we're on. Um, And we really look at how core human values can be at the base of decision-making and the impact that that has. Um, And and the three pillars of of the forum are Silence, listening, and dialogue. So, we want people, we aim and we do provide a reflective space where people can feel safe to reflect in silence, perhaps begin to understand better what is motivating them, um, what really is meaningful to them, um, to listen to others, be inspired by others, and then to really dialogue from the heart. And when people come to the forum, um, the people who are presenting, we don't want people to, we don't ask people to talk about what they do. You know, you can look that up on a on website, but what motivates you? What's your story? And how do you see core values working in the world now and in the future? And we've had some very moving experiences um, our theme this year is um, towards a loving world, um, leadership and governance for well being. And if we think about the atmosphere of fear that's around at the moment, love is the energy that is absolutely needed. And of course, a, a very broad um, concept of love love that is energizing, love that's transformative, and love that is healing. Um, and I'll just just pick out one story in a way from from the forum um, last time, the last forum. Christiana Figueres, who's was the secretary general for on the the UN panel of climate change, and she was the one who um, was able to do the diplomacy. Between the governments to pull off the Paris Agreement, which really was historical, because yeah. you know it's just—I uh, mean, I know we all know that it's not implemented as much as it should be, but at least there's a base from which to work. And um, she told her story when she was at the forum, and she said, um, at the time when the negotiations were happening, it, it was getting very tricky. Things were just not working. It was just you know. Getting like treacle, very complicated, and said at that time in my life, I was going through a very difficult divorce, and uh, my own life was in upheaval. and uh, And she's a spiritual person, and she thought, "Is there a connection?" And she said, "So I went inside, back to basics. Who am I? What's meaningful to me? What do I want?" She began to resolve things inside herself she began to resolve things with her situation. And she said, after that, the negotiations just flowed. And, you know, that's one of the clearest articulations I've heard of how inner change affects systemic change. We know the principle, we know it does. But when you hear these stories and you see in practice the actual impact Uh, I I found that quite amazing. Now, often you don't see it. It's um, unseen. It's working in sort of incognito or, you know, more subtle ways. These are the things that are going to take the world onto the right trajectory. Human beings and the environment and every creature on the planet.
0: Well, as you speak, I feel so inspired myself. But these um, words and really the whole concept of personal peace living by our values who am i what are my values it's the first two questions that i always start my workshops off remind me of how much i have learned from being close with you with the brahma kumaris with daddy over the years because that is the fundamental essence of what is. TV is all about and that's totally inspired by my my uh, relationship and um time spent with
1: with you and mm-hmm. and, and and the organization Lynn, you remember Daddy's three questions she'd always ask. She'd say three yes. om shanties, yes. and she'd say, first om Shanti, who am I? Who am I? Second om Shanti, who do I belong to? So I belong to God, I belong to humanity. And the third om Shanti, what is it that I have to do? You yeah, know, everything's there, isn't it? Amazing. Everything. And finding our sole purpose,
0: which is yeah. really what the question is, is the question we're all asking ourselves and I think particularly yes. as we go forward into this new future for women I think especially in, in what could be a new world and women perhaps who have had a lot of experiences of a certain age whose role now is to be the wise woman to hold the space for the younger generations coming up and to help envis- envision what that world is going to look like that's that's uh again I think very much what daddy's questions and the answers we have take us to
1: yes who agreed. am
0: I who do I belong to and what is my purpose I mean yeah. that's um and I think the values aspects of of your work has always been very
1: influential for me for sure and I think for thousands of people values uh um it's so key and there are 12 values that we'd identified and I know daddy could Recite them. I don't think I can quite, but you know, peace, love, generosity, humility, um, respect, tolerance, happiness. You know, we think about peace, but happiness is so important. You know, only when we have accumulated something inside can we give to others. Otherwise, what can we give if we don't have it?
2: Yes,
0: yeah, absolutely. So really finding the the answers comes through finding the inner peace first. Yeah. And, um, of course, meditation is a very key part of your work and uh, your day. You start at four in the morning with the first meditation of the day. And when I was living in a cottage in the outer grounds of the Global Retreat Centre in Oxford, There were times when I would get up and join four o'clock meditation and indeed when I was away on retreats with you and my day would be magically transformed. There was no question about it when I got up, but I should start doing it again (laughs) now. I don't know why I forget these things. And I get up just before four o'clock and sit there in silence, connecting with the divine. My whole life was transformed. And so I really recommend that to all the people listening. But the next thing that I'd like to bring up is traffic control because not only do you start the day with meditation but you bring it into the daily work your daily life do you want to explain
1: about traffic control which yes, is a funny sure. name for it really but <laughs> well I mean just firstly that you know meditation isn't just something that you do but it's actually about changing your consciousness to become aware that you are that living conscious being the soul the light And the body is the vehicle through which we work. So the identity is actually the inner identity rather than all the external identities that causes so much complication um, of all the different roles that we play. We play so many roles in life. But coming back to that essence of being, and that's something that you want to do all the time. It's not just something you want to do for 20 minutes or 10 minutes. Um, And so that's why we really try to make that a a natural practice. But of course, yes, you need those times to sit early in the morning, in the evening, and it really, um, you know, consolidates the practice. And then during the day, of course, we're going to get caught up in so many things. And so this concept of traffic control, it actually, it's not the the cars and buses, but um, it's controlling the traffic of the mind. Um, because there's a lot of traffic in there going in all sorts of directions. And, um, if once an hour I stop for one minute and at, at our centers, we will play music throughout, you know, the, the building. Um, then the other 59 minutes of my hour become more productive. It has quite an impact. So it reminds me, it brings me back to that consciousness. Um, and it helps me to maintain it through the day so it's really quite and um, we package this in a sense in a and something called just a minute and Lynn, you know we worked very much on this we had a big launch of this at Wembley Arena and it was uh, daddy's 90th birthday people have benefited throughout the world from that and of course I should add that you know everything we do is free we don't charge many things people can download meditations and many many I, I keep hearing even after years, after we launched this, which was how much? 14 years ago now. 15 years ago. Yeah. 15, okay. yeah, if Daddy was 104 yeah. in, a, in a, a year gone. Um, and, you know, you hear people telling you, oh, yes, I always use that. I always have, you know, done that
2: for years. Again, it's
0: a reminder to me, reminds mm-hmm. to all the people watching this, listening to this, but also a reminder to me that we can all download these minute meditations which we can put on our computer and time them and they can bring them in and just calm us down because it's a stressful world right now and we can't pretend it isn't and we're on our computers far more we're getting busy again we're outside again and it's going to get very intense and so to have this calm beautiful space incorporated into our daily life and our work life
1: is so important and thank Thank you so much I would just say one thing you know I mean I think the biggest source of tension at the moment is just the uncertainty people feel yes. Yes. you know well I don't need to say expand further uh you know and so that piece is so important it's it's and a anchor. an anchor it's an anchor and it's a yes. it, it, it's consistent yeah and with the fear
0: that's out there as well as the uncertainty well the uncertainty creates the fear and there's almost nothing you can do that is better than having this quiet space inside and the beautiful dulcet tones of the BKs and Sister Janzi, who does a lot of the meditations, her okay. lovely voice, um, taking us into a deep space. And on that note, I am mm. going to ask you if we can finish off this beautiful talk. And I'm so grateful for you reminding me so many things that I forget in the normal course <laughs> of the day that I need to reimplement into my time and life. Calm me down. Um, if you would end on a meditation for sure. us. And over to you.
2: Okay, so please everyone just sit comfortably, take a deep breath and be present. I ask the question, who am I? I define myself in so many
1: ways according to what I do or what I have
2: and life is filled with the expectations of other people. But when I ask that question, who am I? It takes me inside to find that true identity that is consistent, that is real. I'm a being of consciousness that thinks and feels I'm a spiritual being, and I'm in this costume of my body for a short time. But when I remember my real identity, I also experience my original state of peace. I am a being of peace, independently of the external surroundings. This peace is always part of me. And the next question, who do I belong to? Yes, the world is my family, but we all belong to the divine, to the source of peace, the source of love, the source of truth. And so I connect with that divine being and I begin to feel the energy of love, reaching I, the soul, I, the being. This divine love is a healing love, transformative love. I will be guided by the divine energy of love. Om Shanti. Thank you very much. Beautiful.
1: As always, Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and just beautiful to connect with you and Hello. with everybody else. Uh, it's
0: wonderful to have you here. And i I know there's um many opportunities all over social media and through websites and indeed coming up to I guess live gatherings for anyone who would like to connect in with the Brahma Kumaris and be given this gift of peace that you give us and uh, We will make sure that all the contact details are given so that people can find you. And I know that um, from my own experience, how life changing um, connection and time spent with the BKs is. So thank you again so much. I hope you enjoyed Maureen's powerful meditation as much as I did. During our talk, Maureen explained about traffic control, which is what the BKs call the stop in their lives and their work every hour or so when they go into a reflective, meditative state just for a minute, and from my own experience, how calming it is. This week, as my special exercise why don't you try stopping whatever you are doing every hour or so and just go into silence for a couple of minutes before resuming your busyness? Just see how it takes away all the stress from any situation in this intense time and how it brings all aspects of life into perspective. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope you enjoyed it. Do please subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. Do join me for our next episode of Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends in two weeks time. Bye.